Hello, everyone. Welcome to McGill Cares, a weekly webcast series addressing a wide variety of topics to support family and informal caregivers. I'm Claire Webster, a former caregiver who became a certified Alzheimer care consultant and founder of the McGill University Dementia Education Program. I work with a dynamic team of leading healthcare professionals to oversee this program, which include Dr. José Moret from the Division of Geriatric Medicine, Dr. Serge Gauthier, McGill University Research Center for Studies in Aging, and Dr. Gerald Fried, McGill Steinberg Center for Simulation and Interactive Learning. These webcasts are made possible thanks to the generosity of our donors, and I would like to thank the Zeller Family Foundation for making today's webcast possible. Today, we will be discussing a very important topic, accessing resources from the Quebec Health and Social Services Network. My guest is my colleague, Velda Freitas, who's actually one of the members of our education committee of the McGill Dementia Education Program. Zelda is a graduate of the McGill University School of Social Work with 30 years of experience in the delivery of services to older adults, their caregivers, and their families. She's currently the coordinator of developing practices in support of caregivers at the Center for Research and Expertise in Social Gerontology of the CIUS West Central Montreal. Welcome to our show, Zelda. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I cannot possibly imagine how busy you and your <laughs> colleagues must be during this time of COVID. Um, and I guess to begin, I, I, I know that you have really first-hand experience. In addition to your professional career, you have first-hand experience as a caregiver. Would you like to just talk a bit about that? Sure. So my experience is as a social worker and a clinical supervisor in home care for many, many years. But for the, the last few years, um, I would I would say that I've also been a sandwich, sandwich generation caregiver. And basically, that means that I have a family of my own. I have two wonderful young ladies that live at home with us and I'm married. Uh, I work full time and I also am part of what I call my family sibling team that provide hands-on care to our parents who live in their own home. Uh, my dad is just turning 87, actually, in a, in a cup tomorrow, actually, on Thursday. Um, he's been diagnosed with vascular dementia uh, many years back. And my mom, who's 90, um, who has physically uh, physical ailments and is quite frail. Um, and uh, those are the, that's the situation that I'm in as well. So I come to speak to you today, both from a professional and a personal experience. So today we're going to try to unravel the Quebec healthcare system and inform people about how do you navigate the system? I mean, for all the years that I was a caregiver for my mom, I had no idea how to access care. You know, for me, to be very honest with you, the CLSC was, you know, after giving birth to my children, somebody from the CLSC would contact me to see if I was okay as a mom. I had no idea that the CLSC could provide, you know, support at home. So Let's try to unravel all of this. So what kind of, what kind of assistance can the CLSC provide? How do I get the assistance? Where do we go? Well, um, it, it needs to be unraveled, right? Because our healthcare system is quite complex. Um, and so, and many people don't know how to request home care services. Uh, they don't even know that it exists. They don't know what it looks like, what, what's available. And so uh, what I need, I think the main message to people uh, today is, is that you don't have to wait for a doctor to refer you to a home, to home care. You don't have to wait for a professional to do that. You can actually call yourself. Um, you can make a request for a home 
for a home care evaluation if you feel that you can meet, if you, you know, if you feel that you need that help. So that's a very important thing to remember that you don't have to wait for a professional to do that. The home care team provides a variety of different services and care in the home. So the, the main focus is home care. It's for people that are in loss of autonomy. Um, and that could be due to a number of different reasons. So it's not only home care for people that have uh, uh, illnesses such as uh, Alzheimer's type dementia. Um, but So it provides for a variety of different illnesses. They provide both hands-on care, uh, what I call hands-on care, which is, for instance, personal hygiene care, um, aid services in that respect, but they also provide nursing care and a variety of other professional services. Uh, so if you, need a if you feel that your person you're caring for, uh, their home is not safe, uh, there are issues of safety, uh, the CLSC home care program could provide an occupational therapist evaluation for safety uh, and they can help look at your home with you and see where are the areas of concern and how, how to problem solve around that. They could also link you to other resources and programs. Um, they are the gateway to, for instance, daycare, uh, day centers, uh, respite care, uh, whether it's in home or uh, in, uh, in a temporary uh, residential care center. Uh, amongst and among other resources. So think of it as a mobile multidisciplinary team, a mobile team that moves around the community, uh, that comes to your home, uh, comes to the home of the person you're caring for, uh, and they are able to provide you with, a different, um, with different types of support services. But the key is, is that in order for you to be, be able to contact this team, you need to, I would say the best way to reach the CLSC in your region, the best way to reach your CLSC home care team, because CLSCs are territorial, right? So it goes by the area that you live in, um, is to call 811. A lot of people are not aware of the 811. You heard a little bit more about it during COVID. Uh, 811 is both a helpline, so InfoSante, but it's also a social uh, helpline, which is called InfoSocial. So if you call 811, you ask to speak to InfoSocial, I think you could actually make a choice on their telephone about which one you wanna reach. Um, irregardless of that, you call them and you uh, speak to someone, the responder, and you explain to them that you would like to have a home care evaluation. Um, and that is really the best way to, to make that link and that bridge with your home care team in your area. Keywords are you want a home care evaluation for needs. You have, it's important to have your information on hand as well. So for instance, uh, names of your healthcare providers, the uh, recent hospitalizations or any kind of diagnosis that you may already have or the person you're caring for has. Be as clear as possible. Um, and also, uh, you know, ask for things even though you may not be sure that that is what they could provide because it's important to be able to express what your what your what your uh, what your needs are and where your concerns lie. Um, so I think those are really the key messages uh, to to keep in mind. Is you can call eight one one, let them know that you are asking for a home care evaluation. Um, it's also important to know that when you do call and you ask for a home care evaluation, the person that you're caring for also needs to be in agreement with that home care evaluation. And this is where sometimes families run into challenges, right? Where maybe the, you know, us as daughters believe that this would be really, really great to have. And this is what we need right now as caregivers. 
but we need to reach a point where we're able to um, have the agreement of the person we're caring for. And there are some steps that need to be done be before the request is made for a home care evaluation so that that person you're caring for is also on board, at least to the evaluation, if not any further than that. Okay, so here's my question, you know, because mm. I work with, uh, you know, a community of people who have dementia, for example, and I have many situations right now as a result of COVID where the older person is living alone, it's clear they have dementia, but they haven't even been able to be properly assessed yet by the doctor, the son or the daughter lives out of town, okay, and the children are afraid for the safety of a, of a loved one. Where do they begin? How do right. they get help? Right. So the first place to start is with the person that has dementia. That's what I would. Uh, I mean, again, um, that person needs to be involved as much as possible in the process. Um, doing things, uh, and, and if they're not involved, could lead to further barriers down the road. So as much as possible is you involve the person that you're, you're concerned about to the extent that they can participate in that discussion, uh, to the extent that you understand maybe what their concerns are about having strangers in the home. Um, so again, the first step is to, is to have this conversation with them, um, involve other members of the family, uh, express your concerns about the areas that you think that they're having difficulty with, uh, get their ideas as well. And the agreement at that point in time is really to a home care evaluation. You have to break it down into steps. Sometimes people that are living in the community are, are afraid because they realize that there's something changing in within them. They're scared. And sometimes when we, we, we say, okay, we're going to have the CLSC come in, they might equate that with, oh my God, they want to take me out of my house. And I think that's a really important thing for families to remember is that let's not jump too far ahead. What we're asking for their cooperation and is to have a professional uh, come in and look at what the situation is and how they can be best supported, whether it's going to be in the home or whether it's going to be a relocation at some point or another. But so if how long, far but ahead, how long would it, yeah, go so ahead. how long would it take? So like, so let's say now, okay. I mean, it's a two part question. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say now um, I'm okay. I'm living with my spouse, and I realize I need some help. I can no longer help bathe or feed. I, like I really need help. Okay, so I call eight one one. The first step is, I guess, this, so they're going to send somebody to assess the situation, right? They're going to come in and assess. How long will it take for an assessment to happen right oh. now? I mean, considering that we're in a time of COVID, also, how long before is it a social worker that comes to the house to assess? Like who comes? Okay, so once the once you you the referral is made to the home care program, right? Um, they 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 look at that request and they decide uh, whether it'll be a nurse that will go in and do the first visit, the first assessment, or whether it'll be a social worker, or sometimes it's an, a rehab person, depending on what the needs are. So. When I said earlier to make sure you're, you express your needs or uh, at least give a sense of what, where the issues might lie, that will help guide the home care team as to who's the best person to, or best professional to conduct that first evaluation. So that's where it starts. It starts with a 
home evaluation. We call that our global assessment. Um, and that assessment really looks at all the different uh, needs that that person might have, whether it's what we call a biopsychosocial assessment, meaning it looks at your health issues, it looks at your living situation, it looks at where are some of the areas that you might be having some difficulty in, and it looks at where, how those areas might be compensated for and where are the gaps. Um, and then at the end of that evaluation, there should be a plan that's made, whether it's that there will be referrals made elsewhere, or whether it's that the home care team will remain involved. Uh, so there's a number of different outcomes depending on the evaluation. So it's very, the evaluations are very client focused, meaning that okay. they really look at the particular situation of that person. Um, how long does it take? It depends on the CLSC, depends on the area. They do take time. Um, there are waiting lists. And I know that the home care programs try to prioritize their, their referrals uh, according to need and the immediate imminent need. So therefore, the clearer you can be in your request, um, the, the, the perhaps the easier it is for them to be able to determine where uh, the priority of that request. So meaning how quickly they need to, okay, to, like to get how to urgent, that evaluation. How, how urgent. urgent the request is. Exactly. Okay. So, so now within... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. So, so, so the other question was, okay, so now again, back to the person, the people living out of town, which is the case now for many people. Mm -hmm. for, for in the case of, in the case of somebody who has dementia that's living alone, okay, I can call 811 and say, okay, my mom is living alone. I'm very concerned about her. I, I you know now, but if she's at a stage where she, like, she just refuses to have anybody come in, but I know that she's not safe. Can the CLSC still go in and do an assessment? Like, can they enter? Like, if I'm deeming that she's unsafe living on her own? Um, there, it, again, what it's how we define unsafe. Uh, and then the, the CLSC team will look at and help define what that is and try to determine what the level of priority is. Is it imminent safety risk? Uh, is there a need, for instance, then to uh, proceed with uh, uh, a court order, for instance, for removal. I mean, though that's extreme, right? Okay. So there's a lot of variety within that. Um, you know, one of the approaches might be that uh, that if you are from out of town, is there a time where you're able to come into town where we might be able to meet together with your mom, okay. if that's your worry? Is there someone in town, for instance, another family member that could... Uh, speak to your to your to your mom about having the CLSC come in and do a home care evaluation. Uh, so there's a number of steps sometimes that need to precede the actual home care evaluation, um, and there and there should be someone from the CLSC that will help you guide that those steps for you, help determine the level of priority uh, and the level of risk, um, and then and and then the urgency. It might be that the the the, that situation might require a visit to the family doctor, for instance, uh, for an assessment, for instance, for a referral, perhaps to a geriatric uh, evaluation. So it's, it's not cut and dry. Uh, there's a lot of gray zones, particularly in the situation that you're describing, Claire, uh, where we really need to work with the information we have in hand, but we do not have a right to remove someone from their home. Uh, we don't have a right to go into someone's home without their consent either. Uh, unless, again, it, it, it's the extreme situation uh, where there's some 
uh, you know, some measures that are, could be put in place at, for that. But otherwise, we're really working with the person as much as possible uh, and with the family. Um, and the family is really key in this in, in these kinds of situations because they're the ones that could be uh, facilitating um, the CLSC mm -hmm. to come in. Um, and so we might be able to coach or, or help guide that family in, in, in getting to that point where the person might be willing to have a, a visit, at least one visit, one contact, one intervention, and then we can build from there. So when we talk about urgent cases, because a lot of families wait, you know, a lot of caregivers wait until they're at a crisis situation to ask for help, you know, until they're at that point of burnout, okay? Um, and that's number one. Number two is, you know, there are people that are caring for loved one, let's say with dementia, who is showing verbal and physical aggression. Um, you know, at what, what is considered urgent? You know, when somebody calls and says, okay, I can't do this anymore, I need help. Would, it, would, it, would a case of verbal or physical aggression be considered uh, urgent or a caregiver completely burning out, suffering a severe health uh, challenge? Is that, is that urgent? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And from my perspective as a social worker, those both of those situations are urgent uh, and should be given priority. Um, we have, uh, you know, again, with aggression, uh, aggression is uh, usually a result of or could be a result of certain triggers that are going on. Families need to educate themselves about the illness that they have before them. Uh, it is a person with this illness. So it's very individual and unique to how that person will live that illness. And so it's really important that we we educate ourselves as much as possible through, you know, programs like this, uh, through other other support programs that are available, information online. There's a lot of information out there right now that could help families uh, with regards to behavior. Um, and but certainly, um, it, it could be a sign of something else as well, right? Behavior can be triggered by a number of different things, and and so it may not be that. Uh, you know, it's an immediate 911 situation, but it could certainly be that there is a need for some type of intervention. Uh, and we need to work together with our partners to make sure that those assessments are done properly and that we, we sit and problem solve and make sure that we can decrease that, that aggression. Um, it doesn't always exist, but when it does, it's important to be you know, addressed because otherwise it makes it very, very difficult for a caregiver to, to be able to, to provide care and be in the home with that person. So I think the important um, message is like what I what I go through with families and even myself is I think it's really important then to people to really start planning ahead because I, because I think people have this impression that okay once I'm burnt out I'm going to call the CLSC and then I'm going to have that somebody's going to come and see me tomorrow and here's going to be the support it doesn't work like that right I mean no you have to go you have to wait a few months it could take it take months because of what's happening right so don't just wait to the last minute you got to start planning ahead so important, Claire, to plan ahead as much as possible. I mean, of course, things happen. Caregivers uh, that are doing just fine, for instance, taking care of someone at home and everything is stable and, and they're coping, can suddenly have a change in their, in their health mm -hmm. situation. We see that today with COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. It really is important to plan ahead and to say, and, and to make, uh, you know, in, in, inform yourself, but also uh, have other uh, networks involved as well, other family members. What what would we do if this happened? What would we do if that happened? Uh, and so that public services, healthcare services, and community services can be tapped into when when the need arises. But absolutely, the planning ahead is 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 super important. 
we can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, but as much as possible, let's look and see how we can get resources involved. As caregivers, we should always be involved with as many resources as we possibly can. Uh, caregiving in isolation is not ideal. Um, it is too much pressure on one person to provide 24-7 care. Uh, and so it's really important that if you don't think you need the CLSC right now or home care services right now, be aware of what they are. What do they offer? And so that when the time comes, you can, you, you know, you can have them uh, get involved or at least have an evaluation and say, okay, this is where we're at. We may not need anything right now, but at least I know uh, what, what, what is available in the event that I do need. So information, mm -hmm. even for that, that could be a very important step to take. Um, and not wait to the last minute because we never make really good decisions when we're in crises, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a good time to, to plan and, and problem solve. Yeah. So the next important question that I have is, so how do people have a loved one when, you know, when the time is necessary? How, what's the process to transition into a public long-term care facility? Okay, Because we know that in the private system, it's you pick up the phone, you call, the person can be you know, there, there isn't a whole long process. What is the process when somebody realizes, okay, whether now the people are in the hospital or they're at home and they just cannot live at home anymore to get into the public health care system? So that, that is in itself a very complex <laughs> system in and, you know, in and of itself. So, so in order to, I think important to know right off the, off, off, off the top is that in order to be admissible to a public a long-term care facility, which we call in Quebec CHSLDs. Everybody sort of knows that term now. We've been talking yeah. a lot about them lately. Um, you need to be eligible. There's an eligibility criteria. So it's determined by the criteria that's out there. So when a social worker uh, uh, comes in and does a home care evaluation, for instance, they can help determine with you and the criteria, of course, what is the level of care that the person you're caring for uh, is eligible for? Um, so right, most importantly, there is an eligibility criteria. It's just that it's not because we think it's the right thing for, for, for us or for our family member that, that we have access to that. So that's, that's important. In order to access public long-term care facilities, it, there has to be an application that's made from the public system. So it can be made from a home care program if you're being cared for at home. It can be made from a hospital, like you mentioned, Claire. So for instance, if my mom goes into the hospital tomorrow and it's deemed that it would be best that she not come back home. Deemed by whom? That's a discussion in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Family has to be involved in that discussion. The person themselves, as much as they possibly, you know, they can participate, they need to be involved in that discussion as well. So if, they're, if their goal is really to return home, so for instance, if my mom's goal is really to return home, how do we problem solve together to make that happen? If it's not possible, in the end that that decision is that it's not possible, that she can go from hospital to a long-term care facility. Um, and, and that also can be done from home. So if a person is at home being taken care of and you know, it's, it's deemed that their care needs are becoming too great, uh, that the family and the public system together cannot manage that care, uh, then it then an application can be made from home. So it's the same application that we make for home care evaluation. It's the same evaluation, right? So 
Uh, that evaluation then gets submitted, it gets accepted, and then a person is put on a wait list. Uh, there are wait lists, they are long in for public placement, for public long-term care facilities, I should say. So again, it's something that you're working with uh, towards with your, your home care team. Uh, it could be your long-term plan, and that's you know a goal that you might be working towards, or it could be an emergency situation uh, where you don't have time to have these discussions and this planning, but rather it's done in a much more uh, you know quicker fashion, which is again, not ideal, right? But it does happen. Um, and so there are different levels of long-term care. There's the long-term care that we say CHSLDs, but there are also intermediate resources, which are for people that do not require 24-7 care, but do require some level of care and supervision. Um, and then there's these intermediate resources that are also part of the public system. Um, and therefore you have access to them by the same evaluation. So the evaluation then is the determinant factor in which level of care um, you will be eligible for. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, at what point though, do they absolutely have to have an assessment by the doctor? You know, like, I mean, is that when it comes to people that have dementia, right? I mean, it's really about having that assessment from the doctor that, that's needed. So not only the assessment by the social worker, but you have to have the evaluation by the doctor. That's right. So it's a it's a medical and uh, a whole, uh, the evaluation uh, that determine the uh, the level of care and the the needs of that person mm -hmm. and their their eligibility for the different levels of care. So I think just like the home care support, I get once again all of this information. It's something that you need to be one step ahead of. You need to plan for because again, I have people who who get to a crisis point who realize. I can't take care of my loved one at home anymore. Now they want to call the CLSC thinking that they can have a loved one placed within a month only to realize the waiting list is about two years. So all of these steps, I always talk to people and say, plan ahead. You know, even, you know, if you can, even if you can't, you know, you're not ready now, like plan ahead, understand and how to navigate, right? Because it's not going to happen tomorrow. No. Right. No, right. I mean, in worst case scenario, I mean, and, and, you know, from my experience in the past, where we have a caregiver taking care of a family member or, you know, someone with uh, dementia, for instance, and the situation breaks down at home, they have no uh, uh, support in place from other resources, uh, they both could end up in emergency. Uh, and that's not ideal. It's not ideal for the person with dementia, for sure, because we know how a negative, how you know the negative consequences of being in emergency with all that stimulation and so on, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not ideal for the caregiver either. So, you know, we have other situations where they plan ahead, and it's much, it runs much more smoothly. So, for instance, mm -hmm. if you're caring for someone uh, at home and you need your, you need to go in for surgery yourself. Uh, it's to plan ahead. Who's going to take care of, mm -hmm. of, my, of the person I'm caring for while I'm not here? How much care will I need myself when I return home? Who's going to continue caring for them and us, us together, actually? Mm -hmm. So as much as you can plan ahead, think ahead, it really... It really helps. We know when we have more information, we're always we're always better equipped to deal with certain situations. So, the planning ahead is informing yourself, knowing what's out there, putting in contingency plans. For instance, in the event of, so in the event that I'm not well, uh, I may need to have a backup plan. I need to know who I can call on that could step in 
whether it's a neighbor, a family member, a paid service person, a, the public system, whatever it might be, we you need to be able to say, okay, I'm this is my situation today. I need to I need to go to my plan B. And what is that plan B? And a lot of families don't don't prepare for a plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yep. something that we always encourage is what is your plan B? This is it's a difficult it's conversation. It's a difficult it's people a don't want difficult. to, right? Yeah. They say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. I don't want to go there, but they have to go exactly. there. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you, if you have the, the luxury of time, you can build on that conversation over a period of time. Uh, so for instance, with our parents, you know, they're at home now situation can change today right now as we're speaking uh, and so what is our plan b and and how do we talk about the, the you know that plan b with uh, for instance my mom who is absolutely adamant that they're going to be at home until the very last minute mm-hmm. so it's it's building in and saying okay this is where we are today what where are we in a week's time and bringing up that conversation again and 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 building in the plan b but you're right claire people don't want to talk plan b because it's not easy conversations um and it's and it's uh and it brings up a lot of emotions um Mm -hmm. but it's really really necessary because it's a lot more difficult as caregivers to make difficult decisions when we're under distress than it is to have these conversations when things are a little bit hopefully a little bit more Mm -hmm. calmer Mm-hmm. Well, I always feel, you know, because especially for the caregiver, they think that, you know, only they can take care of their loved one and they're indestructible, right? That we're, we're superhuman. But I always say to them, look, if your objective is to keep your loved one as healthy as possible, you know, like safe, happy, clean. Um, but in the event that something happens to you, who's going to look after them? You know, you know, is it going to be your son or your daughter? What if they're, you don't have a son or daughter? What if they live out of town? Right. So if your objective is to take the best care possible of your loved one, well, then you need to have a plan B, especially during these uncertain times, because if you I have caregivers to say, well, what happens if I end up in the hospital with COVID? What's going to happen to my husband or my wife? Like, well, that's why you need a plan B. Right. Absolutely. So how do people find out about, okay, in addition to the CLSC, there's a lot of other community resources. How do people get access to that? Like, where is that list? How do they find out where to go? Well, one good place to start is um, is the government is our government website. We the government of Quebec puts out a, a, a booklet. It used to be in booklet form. Now it's online, but you could still you know print it if you'd like, and you can easily access that booklet. It's called uh, Support Services for uh, for for Older Adults, I believe. I'll get the name exactly. We in, will in, we will put the link on the McGill Resources website. We will. And it, we'll it's, it, they update it every year, and it's a whole listing of different programs that are available for seniors, uh, and of course, you know, caregivers as well, that are caring for seniors. Uh, and they have the links in that in that booklet, and it's very easy information. It's available in French and in English, so it really gives you access to a number of different programs. They give you a brief description of it, and then they give you the links to the actual program so that you can go uh, directly. So it's it's really good booklet. Um, we also have community resources that are excellent uh, for both for seniors and for and for caregivers. For instance, we have the organization that's called L'Appui. Um, mm-hmm. Less, maybe less known in the English community, but certainly uh, you know well known in the French community. It is a bilingual service. They provide telephone uh, support as well as resources. 
Um, and if they have a wealth of knowledge, their, their, their responders are extremely knowledgeable and they, they're very, very supportive of caregivers. That's their, that's their raison d'etre. So, so they're really, uh, they're really there and they have extended their hours during COVID. So they're more accessible as well to caregivers. Is it a, it's a hotline, right? It's like a 1-800 right. hotline for, that's for right. caregivers. That's right. And on their website as well, they have a list, they have a resource directory, directory, excuse me. So, and they, it's by region. So you can also just access the resource directory. If you, you know, if you're not interested in speaking to someone directly or you have less time, whatever, you can actually do their, you know, link into their website and you'll get the information that you need. And then you can speak to someone as well. So really, really great resource uh, that we have. We also have illness specific resources, for instance, the Alzheimer's Society or the Alzheimer's group. They also are a wealth of information with regards to not only the illness, the disease, but also uh, problem solving, uh, workshops, all kinds of different um, programming groups, and support, support groups, groups for yeah. caregivers. They have day activities for people with the illness. Uh, they have counselors as well for caregivers, individual as well as groups. So they're also a great wealth of information. Reach out to them uh, and, they'll, and they're there to, to help you in any way you can. They can. There's also Biblio Edan. Uh, a lot of people are not familiar with this. Again, uh, a great resource. Uh, Biblio Edan is a, refer is a, is a reference uh, guide um, and it's specific to uh, caregivers. There have illness specific guides and they have um, um, a wealth of information around uh, books and, and media, film, videos um, that you can access on your own time. Uh, and it also can give you a lot of information about services, about illness, about different things that you need to be equipped with as caregivers. We need to equip ourselves as caregivers. Mm -hmm. It's a huge learning curve, right? One minute, you know, everything is, you know, going fairly well. And then the next minute, you know, you have to learn, well, what is this dementia? Uh, how do I react? How do I deal with it? How do I cope with different behaviors? What are, you know, do, how do I, uh, you know, put in, in services? How do I talk to my 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 loved one or my parent or my my mom or dad about what's going on how do we plan for the future so there's a lot a lot of things that we need to learn um mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. the information is out there you just need to be able to access it so i can't believe how fast our time has gone by today together um what would be some of your final thoughts like what 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 would be the most important piece of advice you offer now to families who are on the caregiving journey i think it's hard to improve caregiver services if caregivers don't speak out uh, and, and have their voices heard. As, as a research uh, center, for instance, we try our best to promote and educate and do research on the needs of caregivers and develop programs around that. But we also need to have the voice of caregivers. And we all know that caregivers are extremely overwhelmed and you know they're 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 exhausted. Um, but think about maybe using your care network, your other family members that might be able to uh, reach out to uh, municipal government, provincial government, uh, caregiver organizations, advocacy groups, get your needs known. Uh, and that's how services will, will change and develop. Um, develop your partnerships early. Um, as we're talking about, plan ahead. Who do you have in your, in your, in your resource network that you could um, get involved uh, in the care? Uh, 
you know, it says it takes a village to raise a child. I think it also takes a village to care for someone who has dementia. And it's important to, to establish your village, your community, your, mm -hmm. and, and, and get them involved as much as possible. If you're the only person that the, that the, your person you're caring for relies on and only person that they feel secure with, it's very difficult to integrate other people. So develop your partnerships early. Um, and don't let the stigma of the illness prevent you from caring for the life of a, you know, to live a life with quality, meaning, and purpose. Um, learn as much as you can about the illness, how it, learn how it affects the person that you're caring for. Try to adapt that to your particular situation and do the best that you can with what you have, right? And I think the last point is allow yourself to grieve. Many losses mm -hmm. are associated with this illness. We live them every day, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to allow ourselves to express that grief in the best way possible, whatever fits for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that within suffering, there is great moments of joy, laughter, and love. Zelda, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and all of your experience. We're going to make sure to have all the links that you talked about, uh, all the resources. We'll put a link to the McGill resources on our on our resources page at the McGill Dementia Education website. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you so really, much for having me. Really a thank pleasure you. to have you. Um, please join us next Wednesday, October 21st. We will be talking about the relationship between concussions and neurocognitive disorders. My guest is Dr. Alain Tito, Professor of Neurology and Neurosurgery at McGill University and Director of the Psychology Department at the Montreal University Health Centre. His research involves the investigation of the mechanisms involved in cerebral reorganization and plasticity in various patient populations. Uh, I'm very interested to hear about that, really the correlation between brain injury and, and dementia. Um, this webcast is an initiative of the McGill Dementia Education Program, which is funded by private donations. Once again, I would like to sincerely thank the Zeller Family Foundation for supporting today's webcast. If you'd like to make a contribution to our program or for more information, please visit us at mcgill.ca slash dementia. And if you have any specific topics or questions that you would like us to address, please email us at dementia at mcgill.ca. Until next week, take good care of yourselves and your loved ones. Thank you for watching. Thank you.